turn with me in your Bible, if you have one, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll read verses 4 to 12. Let's stand together, can we? This is going to be on the screen as well. And uh, somebody recently told me that in uh, the many years that they had been attending our church, that they had never, ever heard me preach on the same passage. And uh, I have to admit that that's not the case, because I know I've preached on this one at least four or five times. (laughs) And so here it comes again. Chapter 2, 1 Peter, verses 4 to 12. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Verse 9, but you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light, Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be very careful or be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, we began this uh, new series last week that uh, we're calling Ecclesia, the Marks of the Church. And uh, Ecclesia, just a little bit of review for all of our teenagers and others who are out of town on Memorial Day weekend. It's a Greek word that uh, originally referred to a political assembly. People called out for a political gathering. But it was, as I said last week, hijacked essentially by the New Testament writers to become the word that they use throughout the New Testament to describe the church. This new community of believers that was being called out by God from the world for God, for his purposes in the world, if that sort of makes sense. Inspired and called into existence by the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish God's purposes. And so every time we see the word ecclesia, I said this last week, every time we see the word ecclesia, we are to be reminded that the church is not a place, but it's a people, a called out people. And when we see the word ecclesia, we're to be reminded that the church is not a meeting. Or we gather together, but the church is a movement that is 
that is moving out in the world for God's purposes and his plans. Now, the marks of the church, the secondary, the subtitle that we're talking about refer to the four characteristics that early Christians identified as sort of emerging from and then giving shape to the church of Jesus Christ from its inception. And they were formalized in the Nicene Creed at the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD. So we'll look at these in just a moment. We started off last week and gave some foundation for this whole series by quoting some, some statistics. I won't rehash them all, but some statistics from Barna Research that has revealed that across the United States in this so-called Christian nation, uh, four out of ten folks are, are unchurched. They, they don't belong or attend a church. Uh, a good portion of those are what are known as de-churched. That means that they used to go to church but haven't now for the last six months at least or so. And a good portion of them are never churched, which means they've never attended church in their lives. And the news is uh, even more significant in Santa Barbara area, Santa Barbara, Santa Maria, San Luis Obispo, that, uh, that not just 38%, but 44% of our population are unchurched. And 16% of our population identify themselves as being never churched. So 16% of our local population identify as never having been a part of a church ever in their life before. Now, I suggested last week that this could be seen as a bit of a crisis for the church. And uh, there's no doubt that many will react to these statistics in that way. Less and less people attending church is obviously, obviously a concern. More and more people who have never, ever been a part of a church ever in their lives is definitely a reason for us to be uh, alert and aware. These statistics, if we'll hear them, are unfortunately a bit of an indictment on the strategic mission of the church. I mean, we have to own these statistics. We, we haven't done perhaps all that we could have done and should be doing. They're also a reminder to me and something that Aaron and Danny and I talked quite a bit about of the difficulty and the challenge of doing ministry in the context in which we live. It's, it's not an easy place. There aren't people like, you know, banging down the doors. When is that Father's Day breakfast again? Oh, can I come? You know, that's not really happening to most of us in the situations in which we live. Vivid reminder as I read these stats of that. Crisis, perhaps, but I have to say that I've, as I've thought more about this this week, and perhaps this is just the positivity in me that is kind of leaking out, I have to say that as I've thought more about it, I've come to consider that what some may see as a crisis, others may be able to see as an opportunity. 44% of our region not a part of a church. Is it, oh no, 44% of our region are not a part of a church. We're dying out. The church is about to go the way of the dinosaurs. Forget it. We're, we're just about done. Just forget us. Stick a fork in us. We are done. Or is it, wow, 44% of the people in our region are not a part of a church. What an amazing opportunity that we have to show to them what a great church can be. And help them to find a church family and a church home. That's a big market. Now I was just considering it 
if, if in and out were to come into a city and they were to hear that 44% of the people did not like cheeseburgers, do you think in and out would say, oh boy, we're going to fail? Forget it. Let's move on to the next town where they like cheeseburgers. No, I think I can just, I can imagine the boardroom right now. The in and out executive sitting around that table and they said, oh, we're going to show 44% of the people just what a great cheeseburger is. And we're going to hook them for life. It's going to be great. They're going to be eating our double-doubles and reading our Bible verses around the bottom of the cup over and over and over. It's going to be great. What a perfect opportunity we have. If we'll seize the moment. If we'll seize the moment. The, uh, the church is doing some great things in the world. Let's, let's give ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back. Just a little bit of a attaboy. There are some good things going on in the world in the church of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to uh, skip that or miss out on that. I went back to my focus group this week. Uh, my focus group for this series is uh, a group of men that I teach a Bible study to that are in the recovery program at the Santa Barbara Rescue Mission. And so they, I told them that they got to be my focus group for this. And so I've been asking them questions about the church. And this week I asked them, what's the church getting right? Let's, just, let's be positive for a moment. Let's, what's the church getting right in, in the world? The first guy, number one on the list, was ample parking. Ample parking. What are they teaching them down there at the rescue mission anyway? He obviously hasn't been to our church, but, uh, but uh, some churches evidently have ample parking. Then they turn a little bit serious. One guy said, hospitality. There's great, a sense of real warmth and inviting at every church that he had been to at least. He had, he had actually sensed that, that spirit of hospitality and warmth. Another man said, compassionate care. That everything from building hospitals to caring for the homeless, the church around the world is doing some amazing things in terms of caring for people, and truly it is. Another guy said, just be more relevant. The church is getting relevance a little bit better in terms of their music, in terms of some humor, instead of some, in terms of some understandable language. There's, the church is moving towards greater relevance to our, our culture today. And, and there were some others, but those are the main ones that kind of came out. There, there's some good things that the church is getting right. But we acknowledged, and they acknowledged with me, that the church still has a lot of work to do. And I thought about this, and you can think about this with me too, but there's a lot of misunderstanding in the world about what the church is that we still need to help clarify. There, there's a lot of, and I see this and hear this just about every week, there's still a lot of hurt and brokenness in our world that's been caused by the church people have experienced in the past that we still need to help bring healing to and help people work through. Um, there's still a lot of stereotypes when you talk to somebody about church. There's still a lot of stereotypes and presuppositions that immediately arise in their minds. And perhaps you're just a guest or a visitor today and, and, and not a part of a church necessarily, and you're thinking, yeah, I have my stereotypes and presuppositions I don't really believe, and this series is about the fact that I don't really believe there are any silver bullets waiting for the church or a magic wand that we can somehow kind of wave and, and eliminate all these issues or these, these problems. It took us a while to get to this place, and it may take us some time to turn this, this thing around. But my suggestion in these weeks to us, and I hope it'll be a little bit more than a suggestion, it'll be something that we really take to heart, is that the best thing 
that the church can do in these days is simply to be the church. Because in the end, what else do we have? I mean, it's not about a show, an entertainment. It's not about trying to be something that we're not. We can't. But can we be the church? Now, I'm not just talking about the same old, same old. I'm not just talking about doing the things the way that we've always done them as the church. I'm not talking about just upholding some tradition that's been passed on to us. What I'm talking about is striving to be the very best and the, and the, and the truest expression of church that we can possibly be in hopes that God can somehow use that to draw people to the church and ultimately to himself. And so thus, that's our focus on the historical marks of the church. Um, here they are. I think I have a slide with those four listed. The church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And the Nicene Creed recites these words for us. Again, these weren't things that those church leaders got together and kind of dreamed up. They were things that they were identifying as already happening in the church from its inception and giving voice to it and, and just, just officially stating that, yes, this has happened and this is happening. And these are marks of when the church is truly being the church. And last week we looked at the significance of oneness or unity for the mission of the church in the world today. And today we look at the second mark and why it matters for the church. And you can go to that next slide, I think. And there's the church is one, the church is holy. Now, unfortunately, when people think about the church, uh, about the last thing they think about is holiness perhaps. It's not the first thing that comes to their minds. In fact, more Barner research for you. He tells us that instead, the large majority of people, when they think of church and Christianity in general, they think of these things, judgmentalism, uh, hypocritical, old-fashioned, and overly political. That's, that's the general perception of the church in the world. It's, people aren't out there thinking, wow, that church is just holy. Now, overly political, judgmental, hypocritical, and old-fashioned. And while that feels a little bit disappointing of an assessment, at least to me, I'm like a little bit challenged or frustrated by that, it's, it's real. And unfortunately, it's often been hard for us to argue with. Um, other studies have demonstrated the reality that there are few sins in the world that are not also found in the church. And, uh, and Barna's done some of this. The church has not yet clearly been purified from things like lust and envy and pride and divorce and racism. And the list really could go on and on and on. I mean, the, the, we only have to go as far as ourselves. We can, we can declare, wow, the church is holy? Really? How can that be? Because I am in it. I mean, we... Just by our very presence, we almost invalidate, seemingly, that claim. The church is holy. Yeah, I, I'm looking around, and I'm not so sure about this particular mark of the church. So the question is, if the church isn't holy because of its moral purity, or its 
sinlessness of some kind, then what is it that makes the church holy exactly? And the only answer that the church has been able to come up with over all these years, and the only answer that ultimately makes sense is simply this, that the church is holy because it belongs to a holy God. And that it's been set apart for God's holy purposes. We are holy only in so far as we share and participate in the holiness of God. And we are holy, and the word literally means to be set apart. We are holy only in so far as we see ourselves and fashion ourselves as people who are set apart for God's purposes in the world. Church is holy not because of anything it has done or because of all the holy people that make it up, but because God is holy, because it shares in the holiness of God who's called us into being. This is what Peter was talking about in that passage that I read for you. This is what he's trying to say to us, and I want you to hear his words again. I'll read them for you. Did you hear how he referred? He's writing to churches. In this passage, he's writing to churches across the Roman Empire that that were experiencing great hostility and persecution in these times. And he's writing to them, and he's no doubt trying to boost their confidence. He's no doubt trying to elevate the way that they understand themselves and, and, and view themselves in the world. But listen to what he says to them. Listen to what he calls them. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are, hear this, a holy nation. And then the last one that he calls them, you are God's very own possession. You're holy, he's telling them. Not because of what you've done, but because of who he is and who he's calling you to be. You are the ecclesia called out by God, for God, to be used by Him in the world. And as a result, Peter goes on to say, as a result of being a chosen people, a holy nation, God's very own possession, then, as a result of this identity that God has given you, then you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. In other words, as a community then that is called into existence by a holy God who is made holy simply by who he is, the church is then expected to live in a way that reflects the nature and the character of God in us. And we are in the process of being made holy. Church is expected to live in a holy way because that is who God is making the church to be. Now, look, I have another passage of scripture for you. This is Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, Ephesians chapter 5, for those who have just been married or getting married, this is kind of the famous uh, marriage chapter. It's famous really because it's controversial. <laughs> and it talks about submission and all this kind of stuff and some people are like, yeah, and other people are like, well, and it's just kind of, no one really quite knows what to do with it. And there's just all sorts of tension around this chapter. So much so that I was like, I don't even know if I want to bring it up. But 
But as you look about at, it, at this chapter again, and at the very end of the chapter, and this little section, the Apostle Paul who's writing this, makes it clear that he's not really clear about what he's writing about here. Now, maybe he was. But the way it comes off to me is that Paul's writing about marriage. Oh, no, wait, he's writing about the church. No, I was writing about marriage. No, wait a second, I was writing about the church. And this, this metaphor, this analogy just keeps going back and forth between marriage and the church. And so you get to the end of the section, I'm serious, read it again, the whole thing, chapter 5, and you're like, wait a second, was he talking about marriage or was he talking about the church? And so it leaves it pretty freely to preachers to just kind of apply whatever they need to. So I want to talk about the church from Ephesians chapter 5 for just a few moments. Would you read this with me? For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will... Be holy and without fault. I knew it was there. I knew it was there. She'll be holy and without fault. Now, new husbands, don't expect your brides to be without fault. It's just not going to happen. And some of us would say, well, Jesus, don't expect your church to be without fault. It's not going to happen. And, and yes, it's true. But this is what Jesus has died for. This is what Jesus has provided for in the cross. The washing of his church, the preparation of his bride by the shedding of his blood. He has died to make us holy people. And we're in the process of becoming holy people. A holy church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. And I want us all to hear this, not because, and I don't want us to react by saying, oh, I'll never be that. We'll never be that, James. I mean, you said it already. Take a look around. We're, we've got plenty of spots, plenty of wrinkles, plenty of blemishes. We won't be that. But I, and I don't say this so that we'll be uh, discouraged or that we'll feel like we can never live up to that, but, but so that we might hear that this is who God is making us to be. This is who God envisions us to be. This is the identity that he has, and this is the identity that he envisions for us, to be holy people, to be a holy church, to believe, not because of our goodness, but because of who he is, that we can be a holy people. This is our task then. Hear this. This is our invitation Summoned by God's holy calling. Participating in God's holy presence. Instructed by God's holy word. Empowered by His Holy Spirit to be made into His holy church. Fashioned after our holy Lord. And it's in this humble, holy living, this out of the darkness and into the light living. Did you hear Peter call it that? That the church then 
extends the possibility of hope and wholeness to the world around us. The church is called to be a, a contrast community. A contrast community. And, and some of you know what contrast is. When you turn up the contrast on your TV, the colors get a little bit brighter. They're a little bit more distinct. And to be in contrast simply means to, to, to be strikingly different from something to which you are closely associated. So things that are right next to each other, but where there's strong contrast, the things that are right next to each other, the one just really pops out. It can be a, a picture full of black and white objects, but the one in color is in sharp contrast to the others and just stands out. The church is called to be a contrast community, to be a contrast community where the church is strikingly different from the world around us. We are to think of ourselves, as Peter says here in this passage, as temporary residents, as foreigners. Now, now not so much in, oh, there it is. Yeah, you can, you can take that down for a moment, though, because I'm not really going to talk too much more about that. Thank you. Um, but that was good. Um, the, a contrast society in, in the world. Think of ourselves, again, not as temporary residents and foreigners, um, or, or to think of ourselves as temporary residents and foreigners. This gets us into trouble a little bit when we think about ourselves just as, like, as people who are just, just passing through. And I don't think that's what Peter, you've heard those songs, I, I'm, we're just passing through. I don't quite think that's what Peter's talking about. He's not talking about, you know, don't pay any attention to this because you're on your way to heaven and none of this matters. I think he, what he's talking about is this matters very much. And so that's why you need to see yourself as an alternate community to everything else that is going on in this world. Be very present in the world, but see yourselves as resident aliens in a sense. You're residing here in the world, but not necessarily of the world, as Jesus said in John 17. We're to be we're to be different. One writer used a theatrical metaphor. Those of you who are actors, wonderful job, Elijah. Storytelling is a victory. Way to bring it home. Those of you who have that, this theatrical foundation, he talked about the church's task as being likened to learning how to perform the gospel's script in the world. The church, he says, is this company of players. I love this imagery gathered together to stage scenes of the kingdom of God for the sake of the watching world. On stage, as resident, temporary residents, on stage for the world to see us living out, acting out this gospel script, this kingdom script, this different type of living. We're to be people filled with love and hope, people transformed by the grace of God, brought from darkness to light. We'll be people who are patiently allowing God to work in us. See if this describes you. Uh, patiently allowing God to work on us, to work in us, to change us day by day. People who are aware of our shortcomings as we come and be a part of this holy church. Coming before God with repentant hearts, seeking His forgiveness and His grace. People who are quick to extend that same forgiveness to others. The church is a celebration of both being forgiven and extending forgiveness to the world around us. A church who longs to be obedient to the will of God, to draw near to Him as He draws near to us. A people who demonstrate to this watching world that things can be different. That things can be new. And we'll be a holy church that engages with the world for too long. 
holy churches have thought themselves to be necessarily uh, isolationist and retreating from the world and, and building up walls around us to protect us from them out there. But a truly holy church will be one that engages with the world around us in meaningful ways and helpful ways. We'll do what Peter tells us to do and we'll be very, very careful to live properly among our unbelieving neighbors. We won't be a church that retreats from the world, insulating ourselves from the dangers that are all around us, but one that immerses ourselves into the realities and the challenges of this world. We'll remember that the church is called out so that we might be sent into the world with holy love and mission. We'll remember that the Jesus way for a holy church is always one of engagement, of integration, of involvement, of participation. It's loving. It's being a good neighbor. It's being a part of the solution. It's bringing kindness and compassion and justice to the world wherever we can. This is what it looks like. It's not rocket science. It's humble, holy living. It's becoming in daily practice and in communal practice what God has already made us to be. And in the end, both by the way we live our lives and by the way we engage with the world around us, we'll pray that what Peter says at the end of this passage will actually come true. That though the world still may not be completely sure what to do with us, they will know that something is different. That there's a contrast. That there's another way of doing things. That there's another option. And that they might just join us in that journey. Let's stand together, can we? God, thank you. Thank you for who you are as a holy God and who you're making us to be as your holy people. We're deeply aware of the fact, God, today that, that left to our own devices, to our own selves, will fall short every time. In being the church that you've called us to be and that you need us to be in the world. But as your Holy Spirit fills us, as we share in your holy life, O oh God, as we're instructed by your holy word, as we become holy people, God, you're, you're helping us to become a true expression, a beautiful expression of the church in our world. Again, now not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, so that we might be effective in mission to the world around us. I'm so thankful for those who are being baptized today, Lord Jesus, for those who, uh, by this very public and powerful demonstration and act, are aligning themselves, are uniting themselves with this, this ecclesia, this called out people of God. I pray that whether we're being baptized today or whether we've been in the past or whether we perhaps may be someday, that we would each have a deeper sense today of this sense of alignment, this sense of belonging this sense of being a part of your holy church, that we might be a holy church 
for the world. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.